Yo! He was dead. He never lived. He died. Died. He died seeking the cause because he said he never saw the cause, but he heard the cause. Heard the crying of hungry ghetto children. Heard the warning from Malcolm. Heard the tractors paved new routes to new prisons. He died seeking a cause, seeking a cause. He was already dead. He never really lived. Uptown, downtown, cross town. His body was found all over town seeking the cause. Thinking the cause was $75 a gator shoes. Thinking the cause was selling the white ready to black children. Thinking the cause was to be found in Gypsy Rose or JB. Or singing doo-wops in the park after some Chiba Chiba. Don't. Do 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 Welcome everybody. This is Sharon Smith and this is Iambic Poetry Podcast with Real Poetry. I'm here once again with my two <laughs> ignorant really? popcorn snatchers. Real purse snatchers. <laughs> Unlike last episode. Marvin and Auntie Vice. Say Woo! what up. What Woo! up? We're here to basically talk about the latest movie we have done. The 2001 film, Pinero, is it Pinero or Pinero? Pinero. 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 It it has an inye, and then the E sounds like a Y. I'm still saying it wrong, but it's Pinero. 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 It is a 2001 movie that was done by... Director Leon Ichanso. If you notice, Leon Ichanso has done various um, movies and also TV shows. He did also he did um, Miami Vice. He's done Sugar Hill and a few various others. Um, the cast of this is very interesting. We got Benjamin Bratt. If you now, if you don't know who Benjamin Bratt is. Everyone knows Ben Brad is because he was on Law and Order. He was that other respected cop that always was tough on tough on crime. And if you didn't know right now, currently he's playing in the new DMZ, HBO Max DMZ or DC comic film DMZ. Where Which he's is playing. really good. The comic was really good. The show is also great. <laughs> other people on this list was um, Talisa... Santo, Soto, uh, Gian, um, Giancarlo, Giancarlo Espostito, Espostito, Giancarlo, if you don't know, if you heard that name before, he's on better, he's on better, um, what better call Saul, and he's on Breaking Bad, he was Gus on Breaking Bad too, he's, but he's on, he's, he's been in movies, he's been in even movies for, for the black people, no. He's been in movies like Do the Right Thing. He's been in a lot of several black movies and stuff. And always plays a good black, always plays the good black actor, even though he's uh, got a little Latino descent to him. Ah, uh, you got in here um, Rita 
Marino. She played the she played mom, and she's been on several things too. But speaking of ways of this movie, it is the movie is about a troubling but creative life of a Latino icon, um, poet, playwright, author Miguel Pinedo, whose urban poetry is recognized as a procure to rap and hip hop. You know, it became a hero to many in both theatrical and Latino world. But the result of a notoriously and fame was too much for the Latino bad boy genius who died a premature death in 1988. His legend lives on. And he's also one of the founding, one of the founders of the New Rican movement. He was there when they first opened the New Rican Cafe. Boom. And thoughts, Marvin? You know what? I'm going to give this movie a lot better score than I normally would give it. Like, well, the whole discon- the score and just tell me how you feel about it. No, like I think <laughs> most times like movies like this where the narrative feels disconjointed, it does moments of black and white and then color for no apparent reason without rhyme or reason. I can't fucking stand at all. But there is something about this that I found charming. Like, weirdly enough, and it could just because of my love for the East Coast. Okay. And they had to play like soft, hard, like, like noir based jazz. It could have, like, that could have, it might be a good chance that is why I'm like, okay, I think this movie, but no. Um, I think this movie wasn't that bad. I think it kind of plays this really great mythology of one of the founding members of a very, famous cafe and scene in New York, the Norwegian cafe. Still there. And I will, yeah, and I will also say this. Tu sabes? is now my new favorite fucking phrase to use. <laughs> I've been using tu sabes, tu sabes? all fucking day at work today. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like to one of my uh, co-workers who happens to be Puerto Rican as well, I would just, I told her, oh yeah, this is what we're doing, 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 and doing. And we're just all stressed out. Tisabes, you know? And she's like, yeah. And then she speaks in Spanglish to me. And then she's like, wait, Mijo, did you just really say that? So it was really funny. So Tisabes is not my new favorite fucking word to use <laughs> or phrase. Auntie Vice. <laughs> I have mixed feelings on this one. <laughs> I... I think that the topic is important. I think they had grains of what could have been really good. They did work his favorite poem of mine into it. So I'll give him all that. But the French art school cliches visually and with the soundtrack made me want to pull my hair out. The Yeah. The, the shooting in black and white for no fucking reason. And the soft, shower and black and white on the couple's face ah oh, fucking cliche and the the sad whiny trumpet behind the beat poetry that cliche shit like made me want to pull my hair out but he is a really interesting personality um 
I would have liked to see them develop a few of the other characters a little more. And I would have liked to see the screenwriter put down the meth pipe when they were deciding how frantic to make this. Mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, other than those few things, uh, it was okay. I, I thought you didn't care for the whole um, jumble vignettes they were doing instead of an actual that's what i'm telling them put put down the goddamn meth pipe because it's i think they were trying to give the feeling of this franticness of his life through how they edited the film what they ended up doing is making a very disjointed narrative that was tricky to follow Mm. i agree honestly this movie felt more like an aesthetic piece than it was about any kind of cohesive narrative Mm-hmm. And I think that's very emblematic of any kind of movie that was made in 2001 for anything that wants to be overtly artistic. We saw that with this one. We saw that with, um, what was the film with uh, Zoe Kravitz? Because that one had a very disjointed. Narrative. Oh, you mean Love that, Jones? No, or, no, so no not Love Jones. Yell into the yeah. sky. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's pretty, like I said, I think it's pretty typical of films that want to be artsy fartsy during that era and then with this one it definitely was the case i think it had a very strong voice but it really got mixed up in a lot of what it the director wanted it to be because you did get to see the puerto rican side of this whole film where they are out they're loud they're very proud culture you also got to see the slam scene where it was also proud in its own roots you got to see the gritty side of new york they were trying to show you a lot of things but that's the problem when you want to give narrative in a two-hour film but show everything Mm -hmm. a lot of things get diluted really bad and that's what happened with this so with this so one thing that kind of was kind of jarring to me was the fact that they were trying to they're trying to explain so much. I thought it was so little time, but technically there are so many spaces that it seemed like a half an hour felt like an hour. It felt long. I mean, it felt the, from the scenic, they're trying to show scenes. They're, they're the, the way they were trying to show all these ju- this drug, his drug and bisexuality scenes, they want to keep plugging that in, keep plugging that in. Say, it's almost as if, even though he has all these other things, remember he's a drug dealer. Well, remember he was a he's a criminal. Oh, remember this? It's like, oh, yeah, he's a two bit hustler. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a two-bit hustler. friend. He's, yeah. a, he's a bisexual. He's a drug addict. He's yeah, a, he's robbing. He's robbing people. I mean, he's like a former felon. He's a local legend in his own scene with the Norican Cafe. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of things, but two hours doesn't really cover what they all wanted to do. And it would have been beneficial for this movie to explain at least one facet of his life rather than focusing on everything. Well, I, I have the same, I had the same situation where I talked with um, Auntie Vice about when we did how, and they were mostly, they mostly used the, the, um, the um, trial as the mayor, the main narrative to keep everything going. Okay. And, but again, Oh, go ahead. Sorry about that. Sharon. No, no, again, but like I thought, uh, <laughs> that's kind of what i feel about it how was yeah. the same way but i personally was not a big fan of it with sure. this one i'm willing to give a little bit of leeway maybe because it's a little bit closer to our time and era okay. maybe because it's a little closer to what the three of us do a little bit but i think it's also there's this there's a greater sense of a humanity in this 
in comparison to how. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, they could, it, it almost like they took a little bit of slam to try to try to get a little mix in, trying to figure out how to how to flip this. Because remember, slam started off with him in a prison. This one started off in the prison. Yeah, and then it's kind of with him talking about the blonde woman. I wish I was a blonde woman because then I would get everything. <laughs> like he essentially was saying it, like he was trying to do like this drum circle type of way, say it, and like he's trying to spit out some bars. Right. I also didn't say that the one the cast member was um Edgar White. Uh, Edgar White. He's basically been on several. Several. He's, he was in um. Oh, good grief! He was in several movies. He was in Sugar Hill, which it's funny how that became Sugar Hill because the director also did Sugar Hill. So this is probably a favor for him. Uh, I'm, I know we know a um we we know a, a gentleman uh, um, who also wrote Sugar Hill himself. Uh, was one of the writers that wrote Sugar Hill. So it's just it's, it's about his life, actually. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's just pointing out all the little things of this movie. Um, I think kind of went. I got a lot. I got a lot of slack because there's a lot of things that they were trying to bring in, like some of the poems they're trying to um, stick in, like "Cause Kill, Kill, Kill," um, "Bury Me in the Lower East Side." Um, it was they were like they were sprinkling poems and trying to give them their their just due on each occasion. Like, you know, it was almost as if we're going to have a scene, we're going to have a scene, and then we're going to throw a poem in there. And then we're going to get that poem just do, and then we're going to do another scene and give that poem just enough due, and then throw another scene. It's almost like, it's almost like a music video, but without the, but the music itself was, the music and the poetry was like the added sprinkle, or this is where, this is where we're going to cut and then go on like the next chapter or something. They use them like chapter pages. And even when they finished it off, with the whole um, funeral scene, um, that kind of that kind of was like the the icing on the cake. Okay, this is how we end in this. Like, okay, so yeah. So, um, did you see? What did you think about the poetry on this? I mean, I like most of it. I'm familiar with it because I've read a ton of his stuff and mm-hmm. a ton of the stuff out of the New Yorican. Um, so and like I said, the the bury me on my low the lower east side has long been a favorite of mine that he's done, and I was mm. really glad they worked that in because mm. I think that is a true encapsulation of the quality and what he brings to poetry. And I, you know, but in general, the pieces they included in this were great. What I wish they would have done is use them to like open a scene or close a scene, so you understood how this was stringing together. Oh, okay. because there's books out there with his work in it. And if you look at them, you're like, okay, you could work this in, in a way that would give it a more coherent narrative and focus on, on his writing. Um, but that is not what they chose to do. And what about what you think about the, when they're trying to bring in the little, pl- the playwright of short eye and how, and, you know, it's give it a little bit of gravitas of, they gave a little inklings of how how he how he formed it and how he how he, how he made it what it was. What do you think about that? I mean, I think it's critical to bring that in just because it's really what launched him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we wouldn't have Hamilton if we didn't have Short Eye. Oh. Um, you know, he broke in as as you know a Puerto Rican on Broadway and giving voice to some of that experience. Um, 
and so I, you know, I think it's important to bring that up. I just, it was just way too disjointed in other aspects for me. Mm. So one thing that, that caught my attention with everything as it, it formulated was the fact when he went to Puerto Rico the first time or went to Puerto Rico back at, to Puerto Rico as, a, as an adult, where he, he actually he had to had a um a, a talk with the um I think it was at a university or something and he read he read his poems and the whole and the whole crowd was quiet except for you know his friends they're all like yeah like yeah we got you yeah and the other poor workers are like you don't know anything about us you you have a nostalgia but you really don't know anything about us. And he kind of got a little upset, like, well, fuck you and your Gentile ways and all with it. You know, he wasn't he wasn't too convincing of showing that he he understood that, yeah, you have a you have a sense of what it what it is, but you know you never lived here long enough to know how we are. You were taken too fast. And he has these points out. It, it wasn't it wasn't even his choice. I kind of felt I've kind of felt that same way when a African-American looks at Africa and they, you know, they kind of get this, like, I feel my heritage. I feel, I feel this calmness or, and you kind of go, do you? I was going to point out, I was going to point to you, Marvin, because I know you've been back, you've been back to China and the area and stuff. And how does it feel being, well, I think this is very common for a lot of people who move to the States or anything that's any kind of country that's, not homogeneously them. Asians get that a lot. Like a lot of Asian Americans get the sense of, am I really Asian or am I just an Asian in another country? Mm. Or am I meant to be someone from this country? Like I know for a lot of um, Latino cultures, like I think Paisa is the slang they like to use for anyone who's not from the old country any longer. And they recognize them as an individual who now lives elsewhere. So they're not truly from that culture anymore. So just because, so just because of him not being so involved, I mean, he's, he's involved in the culture that he learned from New York, not centralized into what, where he's supposed to be from. Yeah, exactly. And, like I, uh, for Latino girls, like I, I believe they call them like Paiso or something like okay. that. Just to literally as a, they would like to use it as a derogatory term to put them down. Going, you're not, essentially from our culture like even for chinese like i'm an abc would that's a term that a lot of people from china would like to call us just to denote us and put us down like a lot of us now t- like me and stacy g use that as a term of strength whereas like we would call them fresh off the boat i mean like i mm-hmm. don't think they care too much because they would still say we're from the main country even though they fucking live here now but that's very common and, and you see that in a lot of cultures and then you see them when they move to a culture in a country that is not all of them they start to umbrella umbrella under one common term or one common community like desi culture with indians and middle easterns and everything like that desi doesn't mean all of them but it mean it meant to my understanding something previously to that, mm. but they have now all umbrellaed under that to find commonality in another country. And I feel with Pinero Miguel's story in that situation in the film, 
that was a very authentic look on what that feels like for a lot of us who are either immigrants or have were born here to immigrant parents. Like like first generation mm-hmm. born from immigrants. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. I can see that. Um, so the, the part of them bringing the new Arican and bringing the Miguel um, Algren, Algardian, is that Algarin? A-L-G-R-A-N-G-R-A-N. Algren. Miguel, basically his friend Miguel. He's the professor. That kind of, that kid, that with okay. him. Porfe? Porfe? I don't remember what they called him. Well, he, they, call him pro, they, call him, they call him Professor. Mm-hmm. But his real name is McGill, too. And he's actually, he, he just died. Unfortunately, he just died in, in 2020 from um, sepsis. So, mm-hmm. McGill, McGill Agron. I'm saying this so wrong, and I'm sorry, people in the world. <laughs> he is—he is a true founder, a true man that should be noted because he was the one that, with um, with Pinheiro and stuff, he was the one that saw that these guys have potential. But right now, the whole scene where he was basically tired of these guys being in his house, even though they all have potential and poetics and stuff, he's tired of looking at them, and he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna get this little Irish pub. <laughs> And we'll just make a we'll y'all we can just make this a cafe and y'all can do whatever you want. All right, cool. And that's um that start the New Rican movement and New Rican um poetry um poetry cafe, which is still in New York, and out in the ABC in the um Alphabet City area. No, it's in Lower East Side. Unless oh, they no, moved Lower Side. Yeah, as yeah. they said, yeah, as they said, they moved Philly to Lower East Side. But yeah, it is in the Lower East Side now. So, um, how do you think? I mean. They, there's been we've seen other movies where they have brought in the New Rican Cafe. They brought in the New Rican Cafe with um uh, that one movie with um Omar um Hardwick, mm-hmm. where he, he, that was that she went to the New Rican Cafe. They've done the New Rican Cafe, mm-hmm. I think, also with, when we did beats when we did beats and rhymes with yep. Common and uh, they. So seeing that you know they they, they show their their size either nineties or two thousand version. Where this one is trying to show the beginning essence. How do you feel? How do you feel about them trying to re, you know, re, reconnect the idea of where it came from first before, as you see it now being being portrayed in spoken word poet or slam poetry and stuff or poetry. What do you think I'm, about that? I'm a little disappointed by it. What, why? Well, it's kind of like I said. I think. Well, oh no, it's kind of like how what Auntie Vice and I said. This movie went in a lot of directions right and i would have been fine as i said with a lot of movies we watch where if they just stuck to their guns with one specific subject it actually would have done well and this def- this movie definitely was one of them huh. i think it would be cool to hear about that mythology and the mythos of how norican cafe started from a fucking felon do you know how many people we know in the sack scene or SPC who would have turned their nose on someone like that? Legitimately turned their nose. They turned their nose on some of us already. Not to name names, but some have already turned their noses on us because of whatever style we want, go with whatever genre, they turn it into a weird racial thing sometimes. They turn it into a weird thing about how they don't agree. And to watch a movie with that kind of mythos where someone who isn't quite polished and genteel enough 
was able to open up and start something that has now become this famous and this much of a landmark in multiple artistic scenes would have been really cool. What about you, Auntie Vice? You know, it was almost as if it was included as a passing thought, the way they incorporated it. It is a major landmark in the poetry community, and it has produced phenomenal poets. It really is the origin of quite a bit of of slam and the way other cafes are now around organized around it i think you could do an entire movie just on the history of the new yorican um and so this it was almost like a side thought like oh yeah it got set up and he was there but you know it doesn't i think do homage to the to the importance it has in this community yeah for like maybe five minutes tops they gave homage to it and they did it with some pomp and circumstance like it looked like it was fun they were going via via wow wow Mm-hmm. And then it was an afterthought. It was more like um, it's more like how Friends has the central perk. <laughs> it's always they're just in there just for the second, and then they get out. It's like this is the next scene we're just moving into. <laughs> um, I've I basically went over to a few other I went to a few other um reviews, and it's interesting. A lot I had certain there was certain. We had there was a review also with the SNR um, gentleman named uh, Mark Havelson. He re- he reviewed the movie and he he pointed out just like a couple other um, critics. They pointed out that they didn't they didn't like how Benjamin Bratt's performance of Pinero was. Is either because he he kind of made him too brash. He made him he made him too forceful. Where another. <laughs> Where this one um, critic who puts movie reviews for Christians pointed out that he was so brilliant. He was the greatest thing. It's, it's Pinero's life that was ridiculous, that was wrong. They said that Benjamin Bratt's, um, Benjamin Bratt's performance of Pinero was just like how bad um, Hoffman did Lenny or a few other people have portrayed other um, actual, um, uh, like, you know, like um, perform actual people. How do you feel about his performance? I mean, have you seen movies like um, um, Lenny or even what's that? Um, Cap- um Cap- was it Capetto? Capetto? I think it's hard for any one actor uh-huh. to fully flesh out a real life person. Uh-huh. The most, the best, and most modern, current modern example I can bring to this is um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, <laughs> that was good. Yeah, nice. God, what was his name? I can't forget. Remy. I, it's Remy. Remy. Yeah, is a phenomenal actor. I loved yeah. him. I loved him in Mr. Robot. But Bohemian Rhapsody is a fucking boring movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it I'm was horribly get, written. It's. I mean, it's boring, but it's not as bad as Mulan. <laughs> I, I was waiting for you to pull it in, but it was it's like not as bad as Mulan. It's not as bad as Mulan. <laughs> But Bohemian Rhapsody is a fucking boring movie. It's formulaic. And they make Freddie Mercury, who is a very, very complex and deep man, seem like such a dick. And to go, Pinheiro is a brash man with a lo- way too much bravado. 
while true, doesn't fully scratch any surface into what he was. We mentioned it earlier. He was a drug dealer. He was a two-bit hustler. He could probably sell you water if you lived in the ocean or some shit like that. He was an ex-con. He was a philanthropist. He was a businessman. He cared about the arts. He was so many things. And to say that he didn't do a good job at portraying a man who wore many masks, it's not fair because no one person can really act out everything in two hours. I'm just sure. What do you think about that, advice? You know, I don't know enough about the man himself to know if he, it was really an accurate portrayal or oh. not. Um I mean, it's it seemed fairly realistic in that moment, but again, I like I said, I don't know enough about the the guy himself to actually say if that was a good portrayal or not. Because hmm. he's been, you know, he's been in several other movies beyond being with um, Law and Order. He's been, <laughs> I hate to say, Devolution Man, where he played a cop that just like, hey guys. I'm feeling great. It's like, mm. <laughs> so I can see where the acting part, part became. But this had a this had a big variety of cast members that have been in several different movies. I mean, gentlemen from um, the play Paps. He's been he's been in um uh, beyond just being in um uh, what's that uh, Criminal Minded Criminal Minds and stuff. He's been on several other movies. Uh, the gentleman that um. Uh, like I said, Ed, Ed, um, Edgar Edgar um, Wright, he's been in several movies. Uh, Gianno G, G Carlo, Gianna Carlo, um, was in several movies. I mean, it's even even Romita, even Rio Marino. I mean, this had a this had a. I'm not saying all star, but this did have a good caliber of cast members that played into even his. I think even his dad, the guy that played his dad. Okay, so. There's been a lot of movies that we've seen that had that have had father issues. <laughs> I won't say that very lightly. They have had father issues, whereas the father is always looked at as um, either too vicious or too pitiful. This movie, the father left, and it looks like he's basically looked at as being pitiful. Do you? Do you think that they could just do you think that scene wasn't even necessary or was this a fact of just so they can let the other stuff come through? Like they can use that as a as a crutch to say that that's why his life not didn't go the way it should have. I mean, what do you think about that, Auntie Wise? Hey, I don't think it was necessary at all. I right. don't think it added to the understanding of the character or the movie. And it could have been a point to introduce some of his work and how it was stemmed for that, but they didn't even do that. Like mm. it was again them trying to shove everything into this rather than look at it with a really critical eye to decide what needed to be there and what could go away. So you think that you think that the editor or the director and the editor itself, there were some parts that could have been just Mm-hmm. That would have made it a little more smooth and said a little abrupt. Yeah, they needed focus and and they lacked focus all the way around. And so mm. they needed somebody who actually could come in and say, this is necessary. This is not as necessary. You need more exposition here. But yeah, the editing on this was horrible. I, I, 
I agree. It was like like we mentioned earlier, it was all over the place. And I I don't know. I think I'm also still on the fence about like how you felt about it with it going black and white multiple times and the hard jazz. I thought a little part of me found it charming, but it was all definitely all over the place. I I felt Mm -hmm. it more like Mobile Blues. I mean, it felt like it had like a spitely um, S. Oh, it definitely had a he got game. (laughs) <laughs> nice. because you can definitely tell the director was trying to turn this movie and make new york its own character at one point or another which i kind of was which, which was a big question i asked on device because she's been she lived in new york for several years and she kind of looked like eh, they could have done a little better <laughs> i mean when it comes to it comes, you know they can't, people have this fascination with the new york in the 80s Right. And it's it's this point where it starts to move out of its seediness. But I mean, New York in the the 80s was not the safest place in the world. Um, You know, it was a lot grittier, lot, lot more run down in places and, you know, than it is now. Now it's gentrified way too much. It's it's gross. Uh, But um you know and i get wanting to make the city a character in and of itself and other movies have done that but again this wasn't there's not enough focus there was nobody to come in here and cut out all the the side tangents and the i mean it's like reading with a bunch of run-on sentences you want somebody to come in and cut out all that extraneous stuff to get some focus and they just didn't do it it definitely had a lot of potential. This was definitely one of those mm-hmm. movies where you have that friend who just had a lot to say, but it's just like, man, we got to cut the fat. We got to cut. Mm-hmm. We have to cut the fat here. There's, there's no way it's working. Mm-hmm. Since, since we, um, one of the producers that um, that did this was John Lacrizano. He was actually one of the producers that. Um, well, and I know he's been a true admirer of the the latin the latino um cause of just trying to get into the the you know the playwright or plays or even movies or any anything and he's been kind of a kind of in the forefront where you can actually look at this gentleman uh you can look at um panero as being uh before lacrosano and probably one lacrosano probably later on became that's one of his heroes so I I applaud him for being for being part of the of the group to put money you know produce this, but I really I really looked at the fact that he is being he's being beyond being a poet he was also a playwright and one of the movies he made was uh, one of his plays he made was um short short eye which we found out that means it's actually a it's actually a word in slang um in prison slang. Where short heights, which means white, white, um, white pedophiles. So it being so since it basically pointed out pedophiles in general, it's not a race specific, right? But he was pointing out to pedophiles of them being the low, and even though it's in they're in a community, they're in a prison filled with you know most Latinos and blacks. It's always the the white white guy, a few white guys that basically are the lowest of the low. They they, they point out like, oh, okay, there's mm-hmm. a short eye over there, um, and him making this him him making this whole play in formulated in um Sing Sing, 
and then coming out and then being able to put it out there too. And it actually got numerous rewar- numerous awards to it. That right there is a there's a weird um I hate to say a Cinderella story, but it kind of it kind of taking your taking you out of using what your life is and then putting it on screen and then showing the world and then they actually enjoy it to the point where they actually gave him six nominations for the Tony Awards. Uh, he's also been he's also gotten three um four other awards, uh, one for a dr- um drama critic award and stuff. So he he it's stuff that you can see he's been he's he's gotten so much accolades for, but it seems that it didn't affect them too much. In the movie, they were trying to make it seem like he was just, yeah, you get those things. Okay, keep going. You know, I'm still a drug addict. I'm still this and that. So, hey, if they like it for this. They should see me what I'm really doing. You know, it's, it's, it's almost as if the, I'm trying to, well, my question is, I'm trying to point out is, like you said before, he's he's got a multiple of sides to him. But even people that have wanted to, I think even his protege, um, Regalo, um, with his little um, happy face one, everybody wants the pie. You know, everybody wants the fame and stuff. But some people don't care much about it, even when they do have it. Do you see this as? Because we've seen other movies where, you know, um, like Neruda, uh, actually one that yeah, was a big one, Neruda, where he basically got fame, but it wasn't until they escaped that I was like, okay. This guy really is a commoner. He's not really anything big. When he's, you see that one of my favorite lines at the beginning of the movie was he even literally said the same thing. I'm not Neruda. I'm not all these other Latin poets. There's no butterflies flying around my head. I think that was such a great line. <laughs> I'm no big name politician. I'm not to write. I'm not trying to write a romantic view of the world. A lot. Everything about this life has been dirty grimy grungy as hell i'm from new york i'm not just a puerto rican but i'm a new yorker i'm a norican i'm all of these things a con a junkie i'm not to be romanticized see me warts and all yeah i think about it i think he was trying to make it to the point where he's just saying Hey, I'm I'm a, I'm the average Joe. You just just stop stop making me stop heroing me like I'm an icon. I'm just I'm just here while I can be, and then move there on. Is a be- there's a specific beauty in that. Uh, you two out there, on twice, you think that way too? Yeah, yeah, I agree with Marvin on that one. Okay. All right, so let's let's go into. Snap, snap judgment, snap judgment, where we basically rate the movie that we have, we have seen. This was a doozy people. And with that rating, we go into snack and snap increments. If it's a three snap movie, this is the greatest. It should be heralded on every, it should be heralded just like they got the Rocky horror film. It should have its people on spot played every year at the new Rican. <laughs> if it's a two snaps, it's not that bad, but it's not that good. If it's one snap, this thing should be burned up in ashes. Well, no, this thing should be felled over, died. A hooker should take its watch, walk away and call, tell them to call the cops as they do that and then leave them there. We give this thing quarter quarter snap increments. All right. 
we will close our eyes, count to three, and give our rating to Pinheiro. You ready? Close your eyes. One, dos, tres. Pop them up. Oh, okay. Ah, oh, okay. I can see. Oh, they're both in sync again. Good grief. Yeah, life is good. It's back. It's back once I start (laughs) insulting Mulan again. Wow. You're you're a little loud on the drinking, you know that. (laughs) All right, people, we have given two, two and one and a half and one and a half. All together, that is a five. Five five out of nine snaps for this movie. You might ask, why the heck did you give a two? Well, you know what? Because you're nice. No, well, that Damn. too, but <laughs> I thought this movie was good. It did have a lot of jarring moments, but it was bad because I get it. You're showing two sides of the coin, but I think they're showing too much of the coin. And they could have just basically, they could have linked to some of that. But then, but then it's always been a question where even I've even asked, what is enough? Because I've seen, I've seen how. I've seen Naruta. I've seen freaking uh, Bright Star. <laughs> I, there's been some movies that even I had to question the fact of how much, even the, the Emily Dixon movie, how much is enough and how much is too much that you don't really need to know. And I think this one kind of went on how much do I really need to know? Some stuff could have been heightened more than a lot of other stuff. His robbery, his robbing people, his um, his um, bisexuality. I mean, I understand that was necessary. They wanted to add that a little bits of that, but it was not. It was not. It's not equatable. It was not something I wanted to see. Uh, well, it doesn't care what I want to see. It's not. It was not necessary for the story. I mean, because you got to basically, if you put the New Regan on one side. Or short hours on one side, and he put his his um, robbery and his his violence on the other side. You kind of have to look at this thing as okay, what's what side of the coin are you looking at? Hmm. This guy is not all that good, but he's not that bad. That's why I did that. Do you want to get a reason why y'all give it one one point um, one point five or no? I think we explained it pretty well, buddy. and you pretty much touched bases with it. This ha- I personally think it had some potential, but. Like it ran into two mean directions. Like so much poetry we hear at open mics. They really could have used an editor. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes less is more. You said this like a poem where they just did the, the editing wasn't was necessary. They couldn't get it right. Dude, it's oh. like sitting at a speak out Sacramento and listening to tell talk about your life. Well, that hurt. You called it out too. Oh, that hurt. No lies. Yeah. <laughs> you called it out. Now we just need somebody telling us if our lives are sad enough, they'll buy us a beer and have the full experience. Really? Has it go that far? I mean, it is kind of the truth. We definitely know plenty of people like that. Five snaps out of nine, five out of nine snaps. That's what we give the free. If you have a, if you have seen this movie or are going to see this movie. And now it's on, it's on all streaming services, but you have to buy it. You can't, you can't, you got to buy this one. Go figure. 
if you have a if you see this movie and you have a comment, why don't you put it in the comments and say if you like it, loved it, hated it, thought it could go into the gutter? Because I read some of these critics' comments and I was looking like, wow, this is pretty interesting that the way they think about it. Some have some truth bombs. Some people just took it a little too far and said there's too much nudity, violence, and this and that. And they said, we're a review for Christians. Yeah, he he listened to, to Christian's <laughs> review of poetry. Okay, very upset their, that that's they were their anti- own fault. That's their own fault. That mm-hmm. was dumb. He counted mm-hmm. how many times obscenities and profanities were. He said there were 125 obscenities <laughs> and four profanities. Sitting there with his little clicker. <laughs> anyway, just call him Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. We <laughs> want to get back with us. We basically have our social media. Tell them where they can find you, Marvin. Yeah, you can find me on IG at StarvinMarvin09. Website coming soon. <laughs> Auntie Vice. You can find me at Auntie Vice on most social media, especially Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you want to talk about Fat Chicks on Top? No. Oh, yeah, sure. So Fat Chicks on Top. <laughs> Fat Chicks on Top is back. Uh, you can, it drops weekly. You can hear it on all streaming services. This coming week, we have uh, comic and podcaster Jesse Rivera talking about growing up Mexican in California Central Valley and how that shaped his experience and, you know, loving meth almost as much as he loved his mom. So it's worth checking out. You can find me on a- you can find me on Iambixine. That is I-A-M-B-I. Ugh, my fault. I-A-M-B-I-C-Z-I-N-E. And I am also the producer of Fat Chicks on Top, Iambic, and several others. If you want to check those out, why don't you go check me out on a seriesproduction.com where we're here to help you out more. That has been our show today. Our next one we're going to do, I'm not sure yet. This one was interesting. So it's a little more modern than a lot of other ones we've done. That's a good thing. But we will have something else next for y'all. Keep it locked here. I am right now also bringing in a lot of other uh, features. So we're going to try to see to put real poetry on every other week while we'll do, while we do, um, interviews with um, poets and performers and stuff. If you haven't done it right now, check out the latest one I put out right now with Asintawa and her book coming out, which will be Love, Live, and Liberation. I am Sharon Smith. That is Marvin. That is Auntie Vice. We'll see you at the movies. Peace. <laughs>